welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. It's the, the Chit Chat Money Investing Power Hour. My name is Brett Schaefer, and I'm joined by Ryan Henderson, as always. Today is our show where we cover really anything in investing, finance, business, the FinTwit universe. Ryan, how are you feeling this week? It's the kind of the small company earnings are coming through. There's tons of different earnings reports, and it's kind of exciting to see how some of these, you know, small cap growth, uh, small cap value, maybe deep value stuff. Some of the companies that soared during the pandemic kind of have their, their recovering as we get back to normal. Anything catch your eye this earnings season besides the two topics I saw you had, which was Coinbase earnings. And then we're going to talk a little bit about Meta's new verification stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't know if anything really like crazy caught my eye. There were a lot of bad reports that were kind of like interesting, but not in, not in the way that, not in an optimistic way. It was, I, I am curious now, we've gone through a period with such like easy money, like we're easy borrowing, financing. Um, I'm curious how many, when the bankruptcies will, will start to come, when we'll start to see like some, because we're starting to see, I think a lot of companies with big cash burns that just can't hold on to it. Um, because some of the maybe you know, and and we'll talk about this, I guess, with the Coinbase earnings. Maybe some of these can be dragged out for a long time. They can just operate unprofitably with all the money they raised for a while. That is true. That is correct. That burn rate, I guess, is important. But eventually, kind of, who said it once? You have to show a little leg to the investment community, or else they're never going to believe you. It's true. It's true. Should we talk about uh, our friends? Oh, right. Yes. Yes. The sponsor before we get into today's episode, Ryan, and why don't you pull up the shared screen so everyone can see. Uh, let ours. me share my screen here. Uh, all right. Technical difficulties. Let's do that quick. No. Oh, I always forget how to do it. I'll let everyone see the Arch Capital portfolio today. Not oh. looking so hot. <laughs> Yeah, that is, uh, oh, you know, the market's down. Okay, you should be able to share. Yeah, today's episode is presented by Stratosphere, stratosphere.io. It is our investing home screen for fundamental research. As you can see, we have our portfolio loaded up right there. It's super easy. Their dashboard tool lets us easily track our investments and stocks we are researching with a nifty news feed, SEC file aggregation, and a fundamental charting tool to compare companies, plus plenty more that they have to offer. And they're in, you know, they're a startup and they're trying to really, you know, get their product better. So if you're an early user like ourselves, we're able to, you know, tell them, hey, here's a product that we want, or here's a feature, or here's a KPI that we would like to have, you know, as they're trying to build all these unique KPIs for people. I just messaged them and said, hey, it'd be cool if you could have a thing that tracked employee count at a lot of companies, because almost all companies have to do that on at least an annual basis. And it's something that 
as a fundamental investor, you know, we would like to track as well. And it's very hard to find that. And they said, yeah, we're working on it right now. So the product is just getting better day in and day out. And there's plenty more that they have to offer. And you can try it for free. That is the best part for free at stratosphere.io. The link is in the show notes. That is stratosphere.io and use promo code CCM for 15% off any paid plan. We love Stratosphere and we think any listener of the show who likes fundamental research will as well. Okay, Ryan. You see, you see this change? The yeah. Bar charts. Bar, the bar charts. Well, we will be utilizing. Um, yeah, I'm like sure we'll be utilizing. That. Yeah, I'm going to be util, utilizing uh, some of their long term. What do you call them? Earnings charts or kind of you can go, you know, see the multiple decade charts on operating income, stuff like that. And I want to look at that for Walmart because I think it's pretty interesting. We're going to look at their earnings. But why don't you go first, Ryan, talking about Coinbase earnings? Um, how were they? I didn't look. I didn't want to look. It's always a tough report to look at because it's like 30 pages of uh, nonsense, right? Gobbledygook. Oh, God. Yeah. No, it's I mean. It it's a headache to read some like the shareholder letter because they just mask everything. They just basically it's not even like they just paint every bad piece of news in such a good light. Like, okay, we were fined 50 million by this regulatory body. Like, it's awesome that we settled that. Okay, you were fined fifty million, um, or oh, like this is a crypto. This is another. We're we're at the bad part of the cycle. That's you know that that'll be positive coming out the other side. I'm like, okay, you know, your numbers are horrible, and like, and I even read a part of this. And here, wait, let me just go through some of the numbers because people might care. Um, so total revenue year over year. Uh, dropped by 76%. Uh, it was actually up quarter over quarter. I'll explain why that was, but they have two different, well, they have a couple ways of generating money, but there's transaction revenue, which is sort of your typical exchange commission-based. Um, and transaction revenue declined 86% year over year, and it also dropped sequentially, so quarter over quarter. However, they have the second line item, which is subscription and services revenue. There's a couple of things in there all of them minus one item continued to decline. So all their other subscriptions that they offer saw revenue fall. However, there was one part interest income, which last year in Q4 was at $7 million and now it's at $182 million. Um, and that so, is just, is that the stuff they're loaning to people or stuff that they're earning just from cash on their balance sheet? Which So part of it is, it's yeah, DR, which is right? not a subscription. Uh, so part first of off, it, first off, yeah, on. you're right. It's not, it's fiat though. I want to say it's fiat. <laughs> it's not, uh, it's fiat in both cases, actually. So there's two things that are driving this. So the first one is they, they levered up in 2020. I think they bought a, got a bunch of convertibles. Um, and now they just have cash on the balance sheet. So they just buy treasuries and they think they earn like 40 something million in, in, in interest each quarter right now. Which, listen, like maybe just take your gains and go. Like you got you got free money at the top of the cycle or at the top of the bubble, and you have a real business where you could literally just take the cash and earn forty million dollars in interest every quarter. Uh, but 
when you have a diminishing cash base, that interest income might go away a little bit. Um, so that's my concern is, you know, they could, they could theoretically just survive on this interest income if they just cut everything else to zero, but not going to happen. Um, the other part though is, and I could be getting this wrong. So sorry for any crypto, um, proponents that are out there. Uh, you know, we, we suck with this, but so they entered into this like kind of joint venture with a company called circle where they issue USDC, which is like us dollar stable coin. I think, uh, it's just like pegged to the U S dollar. It's a crypto that's the U S dollar. And so what happens is, uh, I, I believe if, if I want to buy USDC, I will put up, you know, $30 $30 worth of US dollars and I'll get, you know, and I'm not sure what the price is, one US dollar coin. And they will give me interest, like a bank account, I believe. This and I think it's like one and a half percent annual percentage yield. So I think probably a little less than what you get with like an ally bank account. And then they earn money on those customer funds. So they just like invest those in interest bearing assets. I believe it's mostly like US treasuries and stuff like that. Could be wrong. It could be some weird staking project. I'm not sure. Um, so it's like offering uh savings accounts, I think. However, oh, people could just sell their Ryan, USD. That's a risk. Too. Oh, Ryan, you froze you froze on me. Let's go back five seconds. I did. Yeah. Sorry for any listeners, but keep going. Oh, my apologies. Yeah. So it uh they just sell on USDC, which is essentially like um, giving them a, a savings account. But um, anyway, they, they could sell the USDC. So that part's a slightly at risk, but the other part is interest bearing on the cash in their balance sheet. So that led to the quarter over quarter uh, revenue increase in total. My question here is like, how is that doesn't it feel disingenuous to say that subscription and services revenue? You're you're just like buying treasuries. Is that a subscription? I don't. Yeah, I don't it's know. not a service. Uh, it's, de- it's definitely not a service because, <laughs> yeah, usually people and I've, I've noticed this among a lot of tech companies, maybe a lot of fintech ones as well, where they're trying to say they really have this subscription and services side, or they they define a segment like that because. The investment community really likes to see subscription revenue. They like to see service revenue and they put a high multiple on that. But I guess sometimes, most of the times they're legit, but sometimes with Coinbase, you dig into it and you say, okay, you're defining it as this, but in reality, it, you're just earning you know, interest on the, the customer balances. Yeah. Um, here's the other good stuff. Free cash flow for the year or free cash outflow, 1.6%. Billion, so they lost $1.6 billion in free cash flow. However, earnings before interest and taxes was negative $3 billion because they paid $1.6 billion in stock-based compensation. So that was a big discrepancy. They also had like um a crypto, they had crypto asset impairments. So like the mark to market of the crypto that they hold. Um basically drop, you know, crypto prices drop. They held the crypto, uh, the whatever the sellable value of that crypto has to get marked down according to gap however it's not in cash flow because you don't lose money until you sell so um as long as they continue to hold it i guess they're not technically burning cash um but here's the, the here was the stat that really circulated that was 
incredible. I've never seen a number like this. Stock-based compensation was 68% of revenue this quarter. And was free cash flow negative this quarter or did you not? Most likely, I guess it would yeah, be. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. So not only do you check, have... But I'm like... Yeah, sometimes they don't put the quarterly in there. Um, so you're telling me that not only are they losing cash, but they're diluting shareholders at close to a 70% rate each year. Well, maybe not, excuse me, revenue. They, they, not. It might not be at one times revenue, but they're dilute out of their revenue. They're taking 68% of it, almost 70% and giving that to employees. I, I, it's, it's, yeah, that's a number. That's a number for sure. And they didn't give the quarterly operating cash flow. Yeah. But- so some companies don't do that. I know it's always frustrating. Like, God, you're really going to make me go to Q3 and do the math. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's an insane number. And also, and there may have been, I think there was like a one-time stock comp benefit that was issued this quarter. So that might've led to part of it, but still it's a ridiculous amount and it's been increasing every quarter and their guidance for stock-based compensation relative to next quarter's revenue. uh, Well, they can't really guide for next quarter's revenue, but that was also pretty egregious and like if you're an employee maybe they don't give you the option maybe they're saying you have to take the stock or you can't take or or you'll have like half you you can either have half your compensation in stock or half your compensation um i guess you take the half in stock but you're kind of jeopardizing your entire entire employee base like if your stock drops again this year everyone's going to be pissed well, unless they're RSUs, then they'll be okay. And they won't be too upset, I guess. I wonder if they're RSUs or options. The big thing, though, is that eventually, if people are getting stock comp and the dilution is just crazy, eventually no one makes any money because the dilution just takes care of everything and everything just gets watered down too much. I wonder if... Well, here's two questions. One, this is a little bit rhetorical. What are the employees doing at Coinbase all day? I want to know. Two, would they, I don't think they would be able to have all these employees if they paid in cash because they're already burning cash. They would need to probably fire what, 20%, 30% of their employees if they got rid of all this SBC. Um, so yeah, I think, I think, I think that's they my already two have too. Yeah, well, they'd have to fire sure that even, even more. Yeah, no, I'm sure they, they would. Um, yeah, I don't know what they're spending money on or what they're what the employees are doing on a daily basis. The thing is, and the beauty of an exchange is theoretically you don't need that many employees. And theoretically, margins are very, very high. Um, but what's that quote? In in theory, theory is the same as practice, and in practice, they're very yeah. different or something like that. You're uh, uh I think you're close on that. You're close on that. Let me let's let me see if Stratosphere has any good KPIs on this. Um, but you keep going. Anyway, is there? A, would you ever own this? Would you ever own Coinbase at any price? I saw your question there, so I was thinking about it. And yeah, we've discussed before about how there are companies that you know they could go bankrupt and you you don't trust the management team, so that you probably wouldn't pay up anything for them just because you think the risk, you know, your equity could be worth zero, regardless of whether you're paying below some sort of book value or some sort of intrinsic value or whatever you want to define it. And I think Coinbase 
goes into that category, kind of the lowest category we have where it's never invest no matter the price, because my thinking is everything is that they they're doing is is worth nothing. Plus, I don't trust management team to allocate capital rationally or return any capital to shareholders, all that good stuff. Agree or disagree? Last year, no, I think you're right. I want to find the last year or in December of 2021, this is an important important lesson. Uh, Coinbase traded at a price to free cash flow I believe of I believe is three and a half times. So, and there were a lot of people that literally just quoted the trailing earnings or trailing free cash flow and said, like, you know, let's take a flyer on this. Why not? Because it's so cheap. This is, I mean, this is an example where the uh the denominator can change, right? The denominator in that case. Uh yeah, where the earnings, you know. Quoting trailing earnings on a business that won't generate money in the future is not uh it's not the proper way to value anything. Yeah. So. And uh I got the stratosphere chart loaded up here. Side note, I did see they have an employees thing I'm circling under their ratio. So they got that out quickly. Not really relevant for Coinbase because they just went public. So you're gonna be comparing like two years there. But I think that can be so useful for companies that are 20 years, you know. In history, and you have to find that at the bottom of the SEC filings. But either way, I got the PE ratio that Ryan is mentioning. If we go back to the latest they have since they just went public, March 2021, PE of 21, June 2021, PE of eight. So you're like, oh, PE of eight. PE is cheap, right? It's below 10. Oh, oh my God, it's great. And then we pop up to PE of 29.4. Then we go back down to 15.7. And then in 2022, we are negative, which means as Ryan mentioned, they aren't making any money. So I think that just shows that, and we all do this. I think at first you probably did this too, Ryan. I think we all do it is when you first start out, you think, okay, low PE, low PE ratio, I'm going to buy. But in reality, that is not telling nowhere near the whole story of a stock, especially if you're going to buy an individual investment. Yeah. And also I think just goes to illustrate how much earnings can change. And how quickly they can change. Cause I remember, and I, we even made this mistake where, um, we looked at businesses that were growing 30, 40% top line. And we said, well, let's, uh, you know, let's assume a conservative scenario that growth drops down to 10% next year or, or 5% next year. And in reality, revenue declined. Like, it it can really swing rapidly. I mean, if you looked at Coinbase and it was growing, I think revenue was growing probably, I don't know, triple digits last year. You could say, well, let's assume something real conservative that it only grows by 5%. And in reality, uh, you know, revenue dropped by 75%. It just goes to show that unless the unless it's a critical service that people are going to pay for regardless of the environment there's no telling what could happen to the top line. Yeah. And that I think for companies that have been public for a long time, you can really look at, Hey, you know, over the last 30 years, have they had revenue declines? What periods were they in? Did they coincide with recessions? And you can tell, okay, if this company had really no periods of major revenue declines, that's a company that might be very, very important to its industry or its customers. And if it's not like Coinbase, um, 
I guess there's other factors like cyclicality, but something like Coinbase might be more of a discretionary thing, or it might be a very cyclical industry. Um, I think we would not describe, some people describe crypto as cyclical. We dis- would describe it as uh, an egg, useless, a zero. Um, that's how we, that's yeah, the how many we times fallen, does but- something have to drop? How many times does something have to drop before you say, uh, before you can actually determine that it's a cycle? Because yeah, it's- if it's dropped twice, you know, if it's dropped 75% twice, I would not say that it's a cyclical industry. It might just not be an industry. That's right. Yeah. Oil, energy. It's got to happen some, a couple of times, more than yeah, a couple of times. Some, you know, commodity metals, those could be defined clearly as a cyclical industry. Uh, a few others. Crypto, I guess, TBD. Maybe it'll just go through a cycle forever. All right. Next topic, Ryan. You have what Meta verified? I, I have a hot take on this, but I'll let you discuss it first. Yeah. So this week, Mark Zuckerberg posted, I think, on Facebook. Um, he said, "Good morning and new product announcement. This week, we're starting to roll out Meta Verified, a subscription service that lets you verify your account with a government ID, get a blue badge, so that check mark." Um, get extra impersonation protection against accounts claiming to be you and get direct access to customer support. This new feature is about increasing authenticity and security across our services. Meta Verified starts at $11.99 a month on the web or $14.99 a month on iOS. A little shot across the bow at uh, old Apple. We'll be rolling out in Australia and New Zealand this week and more countries soon. Um, First of all, I will just say that this subscription feels like bullshit because they're monetizing the worst parts of their platform, saying that we will allow you to actually talk to someone if you're having problems, but you got to pay $15 a month to do it. Uh, we can confirm this isn't, up. Yeah, we can confirm this isn't just a eight-person team in Russia pretending to be the Church of Latter-day Saints that you've joined a Facebook group on. They should be doing yeah. that for free. And, yeah. And okay. Uh, the other stuff you get extra impersonation protection. So the flaw of your platform that anyone can impersonate anyone else, you're monetizing that. That seems like a bit of an issue. Um, maybe you do need an ID to potentially do that. I don't know. I'm not on that side, but it's obviously one of the pitfalls of the social media platforms. So I've had an experience where, and I know a lot of people that have had this experience, they got an account hacked. I I had an Instagram account. It got hacked a long time ago, was able to get it back eventually um, and just got rid of it because I don't want to deal with it again. But you're concerned if you get hacked, you're concerned that whoever the hacker is, is going to send something to your family or friends or whatever um, coming from your account. And so you try to reach out to customer support, which does not exist. The only thing that exists is FAQ, frequently asked oh, questions. Yeah. I found that with Google as well. <laughs> not, not to get on the, the red tier, but when you're dealing with the mega cap companies, they, yeah, the customer support is a bit weak. You've got all this AI investments and you can't even like have a functioning chatbot that helps you get your account back anyway the uh so now if you pay 15 dollars, you can you can call somebody that's i don't know that feels like just a screwed up subscription 
do you think it'll work? Well, my question is, okay, here's my hot take, and then I'll have a question for you. I don't think it's gonna work in driving revenue because I don't really think that that many people are going to sign up for it. My hot take is that this entire thing that Zuckerberg is doing is to show that Apple is being pretty egregious with their fees. I think that's the the number one reason they're doing this. That's a pretty lame way to do it, to be honest. I, I think Apple probably saw that and was like, uh, all right, well, no one's going to sign up for that anyways. Or if they do, I mean, maybe the people that care a lot about their accounts, but do they really care about paying an extra $3 to not have someone shill crap to their family and friends? Uh, I don't know. I this don't know if the, he thinks this is, the, this is the blow to Apple that he thinks it is. They should start running ads next holiday season. Perfect gift for grandma this holiday season. Is your grandma gotten hacked by joining Facebook groups from Indonesia that that are pretending to be the church group from Omaha? Well, Meta Verified is for you. Okay, here's the other question I have. I'm looking at the chart here, the KPI chart. Um that any watchers have been watching for the last three minutes. I've been showing them here. And we have DAUs, daily active users at Meta. So across all their stuff at 2 billion. What's your guess on what percentage of these, say it's rolled out globally, say it's you know cheaper in India and stuff like that. What percentage of the DAUs are going to be paying for this? Less than 1%. Yeah, I tend to agree. Well, it'll change. How many, what percentage? I think this, the the most value that the subscription provides is just hacked accounts, which I know is a flaw in the system, whatever. But if you want to get your account back, yeah, you'll probably pay, especially if you like this is something that you live for or whatever. You, you know, you love social media. No one admits that they love social media, but if you spend more than an hour a day on this or something, you're going to pay $15 a month to get your account back. Um, I yeah I could see I could see some people on Instagram using it um because I think as one of the key uses for Instagram is for younger people to try to meet people of the other rate of the other uh, gender or people that they're attracted to right so they want to make sure that those people are real right and they're talking to the right person I think that could be helpful right but it, it's really you could have also I, said like just could have said Twenty dollars a month, no ads. Yeah, I think people would. Hate, I think hate. having just an ad free would be more beneficial. Yeah, some people like the Instagram ads though. They they use them for buying shit. That's why they're so good. I think it's true. They should just offer ID verification for free. It can't be that hard. You partner with a company. And they do it. They do some ID verification, right? They prove that you're a real person. They have the two-factor authentication to know what accounts connect or know what devices are connected to you. And they should be able to prove that you're a real person because that's one of the big issues, I think, holding them back. I think maybe why these platforms are so hesitant to do that because you're trying to think like, okay, it's so obvious, right? They've probably thought of this. Maybe it would be such a hit to revenue and all the content when all the bots, all the troll farms, all the stuff from, all I guess, all sorts of countries that are posting stuff online pretending to be people. If that goes away, then you lose a lot of the stuff on there. And people are like, oh, wait, I was talking to someone. You know, this thing is just totally fake. Oh, I guess 
my feed is a little bit worse or what what do you think on that? It, it would hurt them, you know, financially, I think maybe is the the thing there. You think like not having bots would hurt them Here's, financially? I, I believe, and this is the stat, I think it was 19 out of 20 of the most popular Christian groups on Facebook were fake from Russia, wherever, Eastern Europe, something like that. 19 out of 20 at one point. Think about that, all that usage. Think about all the people spending time on there. They're they're going through the group, they're seeing ads, they're clicking on ads. Those get unverified. I see it because I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think why they don't offer this for free. Um, because they gotta pay some customer support people in Indonesia or whatever to like do this, and they would rather just have the customers pay for it for id verification i understand on the support side but no just to verify your account support yeah just the support to get your account back and stuff like that that cannot no way that's what is that going to cost them a billion a year that's chump change to them maybe there's yeah maybe this whole thing was just to prove that apple has high fees that's my that's my working thesis because it doesn't make any sense any other way. All right, uh, let's talk through your news. Um, I'm I'm getting yeah. like a lag on your audio, so I'm gonna try to change my headphones out and uh, while while you're talking. Okay. All right. My news was an update on the Xbox Activision Blizzard deal. So, as anyone who is unaware, the deal is supposed to close this summer, and since it's such a big deal within the video game industry and I guess the entertainment industry in general, they have to go through all the regulators uh, around the world, especially because both Microsoft through its Xbox platform and Activision Blizzard sell products globally. So you have, you know, the, the regulators in the United Kingdom, the regulators in the United States, regulators in China that are super important. And a lot of them have talked about how they're not going to let the deal go through. So Xbox has been, you know, making new concessions, new offerings, offering things to the industry so regulators around the globe can get more comfortable uh, with its merger. And this week, the Xbox president announced that Xbox slash Activision are committed to bringing games to Nintendo hardware for 10 years under a, quote, binding contract. I put up quotes here, but that's just to say what they exactly said. It is a binding contract. Um, and they are also committing to bringing the content to Steam and NVIDIA's GeForce Now cloud gaming service, although GeForce Now, not um, not too relevant. And then as a note, so I guess you kind of have the big, you know, there, there's four big platforms, I guess, in console gaming. You got or console and PC gaming since they overlap. You got Steam dominates PC as the uh, distribution store. And then in consoles, you have Nintendo. Sony and Xbox, they've locked up a deal with Nintendo and Steam, and they've offered this 10-year deal to Sony, but they actually haven't gotten any reciprocation. Um, I have a few questions that I think would be fun to discuss here because we follow the industry closely, and I think you can kind of read through the tea leaves here. But thoughts on these new offers in general, Ryan, when you saw the news? Anything anything to add before we hit these discussion questions? Well, it makes me feel like the deal is going to go through for starters, because if the concessions are 
if this is the concessions they're looking for, the only reason this deal isn't going through is because Sony's holding out. Everyone's going to look at Sony like they're bitter, especially now that everyone else has agreed. I also find it hilarious that like, I don't know, GeForce Now, they're like, we got GeForce Now. Okay, all 10 users or whatever's on there. It just, yeah. That felt more like Microsoft just saying that everyone else has agreed, uh, even though no one really cares about GeForce Now. Um, and maybe we're wrong. Do you know? How, do you have any idea on user account for GeForce Now? If we can't get any, I'm assuming it's low because they would brag about it. If you know, Nvidia is a very press release happy company, and once you see them, if they hit 10 million users, wow, 25 million users. There we go. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah, but 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 remember, Oculus had. This is kind of a how many people have downloaded it. And we'll see. I mean, it's, I guess it's better than um, Stadia from from Google. Yeah, maybe maybe it's good. Yeah, it says it has 25 million registered users. So I'd like to see the usage on that because people were comparing Oculus to Sony or Oculus to PlayStation when Oculus had basically no usage and Sony was, what, 50 hours a month? Something like that. Incredible usage. One of the most used things when people, you know, their core customers. Maybe, you know, maybe we're underselling GeForce now, but still, they're not a big player yet. Either way, any any other thoughts, Ryan? No, just uh, I would say that I'm pretty sure this was the British regulatory body's main concern was them taking COD in house, and so this uh, I think alleviates a lot of that. Which means I think if the British regulatory body says gives the AOK here. I assume it'll be the same in the EU. I think this deal would probably go through. Yeah, it's interesting when at first you kind of think Microsoft's the big bad monopoly here, but they have been losing to Xbox. There's a nice tweet here from Sony uh, or Sony. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for the correction. Uh, His name's Benji. Well, he goes by Benji Sales on Twitter. Popular video game analysts don't know his last name, but Benji Sales be able to find him, I think, by looking him up. During Microsoft's presentation to, I think, regulators, uh, they talked about how PlayStation has dominated Xbox market performance comparing the two on sales. And if you look at historically, um, Europe goes favored 80-20 in favor of PlayStation. Japan is 96-4, which I guess is because Sony is a Japanese company. Globally, it's 70-30 in favor of PlayStation. And then end of 2022, it was 69 to 31, so basically 70, 30 as well. Really, Sony has tried to use this method before, and they have used it. They, they've launched plenty of uh, first-party games exclusive to Sony to try to get people to you know switch from Xbox to PlayStation. And what's interesting is if, if these companies are not able to do the first party exclusive kind of vertical integration thing. I think it bodes well for the third party publishers that aren't, um, that don't have hard, that don't, you know, produce their own hardware because then regulators are going to really be on the watch for anti-competitive behavior from someone like Microsoft if they own Activision Blizzard. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I think at this point, like, well, I guess if Activision goes in house to Microsoft, maybe, I mean, the majority of game time is not spent on Sony or Microsoft's own games right now. 
So they kind of are at the leash or at the whim probably of the third-party publishers in some ways. Obviously, owning the platforms gives you a little bit of power as well. But um, you know, the big brands like FIFA, Madden, Call of Duty, Call of Duty could you know potentially be in house here. Um, they are going to command probably a lot of the negotiating leverage. Yeah, what, I agree. What do you say? Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's going to change too much. And if say Microsoft tried to pull anything funny with COD, the regulators are going to be right up there, you know, right, right on them. Uh, the other thing that I think was interesting in regards to the Nintendo announcement was the fact that Call of Duty cannot run on the Nintendo Switch right now. So a lot of people are theorizing that this means that the Switch 2 is coming and it's going to be more powerful because even it would be such a bad experience. And you know, Nintendo is known for doing that sometimes. But it would be such a bad experience if you ran the modern Call of Duties on the 2017 hardware for um, or 2017 processor on the Nintendo Switch. Yeah. What are your th- thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it implies that there's a new iteration of the Switch coming. At this point, it just, I don't know. I, I saw some tweets about this as well, kind of qu- like the whole thesis rests on whether or not, and it was from Louise, our friend, uh, basically saying the whole thesis rests on for Nintendo rests on whether or not they're going to release a new Switch. Um, and I, I agree the thesis does rest on that, but I think it is, and maybe there's a chance this doesn't come to fruition, but I think they it's are, pretty obvious now that... Yeah a new iteration of the switch will come out. Yes. I, I would agree with you that they are. You, I saw a hesitation in your voice. They are a weird company. So you never know what they're going to do, but I would, and you can't say hundred percent guarantee on anything, but given what the management is saying now, given what all they've done with Nintendo switch online, because why invest all that money to put all the game boy, uh, NES, what are the other ones? Nintendo 64, stuff on Nintendo Switch Online if you're just going to drop the platform one year later. I think it's an... I would probably handicap it as a 95% chance that a Switch 2 is coming out. The name doesn't have to be Switch 2, but an upgrade one is coming out. My bet would be Spring 2024 because that's when the Mario Kart DLC ends and they probably would launch a new Mario Kart along with um, the new Switch as that's their flagship game, kind of like a... I thought the new... Mario Kart DLC was coming out uh, like May timeframe, right with the release of the Mario movie. Yeah, so that's one of the sections. So if you pay, the how it, the DLC works is it started, when was it last year, I think, in the spring? Probably a year ago when they released it. And I think it's $25, maybe $50, but you get different packs every quarter. So I think di- like a pack of eight carts, for if you pay the one-time fee, each uh, quarter you get a pack of eight new courses or historical courses and it ends i believe spring 2024 so that's kind of my thesis of when they're planning on launching the switch too all right um you want to talk through the consumer side of things walmart's earnings yeah i think yeah we hit the other question too on will the deal go through you already said that so yeah let's hit walmart earnings i think it can Wait, be- what's the what's the spread on that deal on a- Activision. Well, so let's what? do some quick math. Ninety-six Active- dollars a share. Something like that. 90, Ninety-five. We're at seventy-six nine. A little over twenty percent. Yeah. Do a little math. Let me. I'm trying to do math in the Google search bar. Um. 
Mm. And I guess there's no timeline on when it would close, but if you're looking for a speculative or potentially minimized risk, 20% return, this has some potential. Although there's yeah. downside if this obviously doesn't go through. I know. That's the famous last words. It's a low risk, 20% bet this summer. I want to know what, you know, I want to know what people are thinking and why the spread is so wide. But I guess there's got to be a reason. There's got to be a reason. And maybe it's because if it breaks, it's going to drop down to $40, $50 a share. Okay. Um, yes. Let's go to consumer. I'll load up some stratosphere charts, which will be very insightful. I thought this was really cool to look at over the the multiple decades. So Walmart reported their earnings, uh, fiscal year 23, giving an update on the state of the US consumer. And since they do $600 billion in revenue a year, and the vast majority of that being in the United States, it can be a great indicator on what the economy is doing. Yeah, maybe the people that aren't the ultra rich, but that's okay. We can just look at LVMH results for that. Uh, Revenue grew 6.7% in fiscal year 2023. But operating income declined by $5.5 billion to $20.4 billion for the year. I think a bit of that is them trying to win customers over with their low-cost stuff during this downturn as other companies are struggling, and a bit of them also struggling to keep up with inflation. Uh, and then at six $111 billion in revenue, they have a measly operating margin of 3.3%. Before we get to guidance, I'm going to load up this chart here. Um, yeah, on Walmart. Let me share the screen. I know it's tough for the listeners, but I will describe what it is because I think it's very fascinating. Okay. Walmart. Oh, where we go? Go quick here to operating margin. They have actually seen declining operating margin since the 90s. So if we look at let me load it all the way back to as far back as we can go. Oh, let's not go back to it all the way when they're unprofitable. All right. This this is gonna be a tough listen. Yeah, this part especially. I'm <laughs> trying to I'm trying to load it up quick. But well, I know what the chart looks like. We'll actually uh um see it here. If we go to the 90s. They had an operating margin of approximately um, 6%, 7%, something like that. And today, as I just mentioned, we're down to 3.3%. And I try to want, you know, I was wondering why that is like, okay, what happened? Was it the e-commerce competition? Because it kind of in, you know, January or you know, fiscal year 2013, they had 6% operating margin and that kind of been the same um, as they had been for years. I mean, it declined a bit in the 2000, 2002 recession. They held up really well in the 2008, 2009 recession. Um, But yeah, if we look back at operating margin in 1995, it was 4.7% just for reference, but we've seen it decline a ton and it's down, as I mentioned, 3.3%. I tried to figure out why, tweeted out, and our friend Jason Hall has been on the show before said it's because they've won so much market share in grocery and that has lower margins, but now they become the one-stop shop for a lot of shoppers out there. On one hand, yeah, that's great. You know, you're getting more volume and it is gross profit positive. On the other hand, though, I kind of think, especially if there's the inflation risk out there, 
that having so much exposure to grocery can be tough because you could, would you be surprised if inflation ran hot for two more years that Walmart's operating margin continues to slip? It easily could. It's just tough. And even this, this margin deterioration is happening. Sorry, I'll let you go. When advertising revenue is growing at, I think, a 30% rate and is making up you know, a larger part of the, the business now. Well, uh, yeah. Okay. Part of, uh, part of this recent operating margin deterioration is the inventory management side of things, just having to mark down a bunch of stuff on, on mm. the inventory side. But I would say if you asked the CEO of Walmart in the 1990s, you know, would you like to have, would you like to be the leader in grocery too? But you you know you're going to have to sacrifice some points on margin, but it'll be clearly gross margin, gross profit accretive. If you would ask shareholders, ask the CEO, the answer would be yes. I think it's I think it was the right thing to do, even though yeah, it does tighten margins a little bit. It also probably makes inventory a little more difficult because there's a shorter shelf life there, depreciation's a little quicker. But um, I I. I don't know if they'll ever have an like a purchasing environment. Well, I shouldn't say this. Uh, as big of a swing in purchasing habits as they had in the last two years. So it's very easy to mess up. And pretty much every retailer did it that I can think of messed up inventory in some way where they had significant write downs because of it. Um, so uh, I, I think margins will probably s- stabilize here in the future, but. Here's yeah, they'll probably stabilize lower. And on the positive side as well, the lower the margin Walmart has, the I think, and maybe Costco can compete, but that's kind of a different, you know, they have Sam's Club. The harder it would be to compete with Walmart from any sort of startup, any other grocer, even someone like Kroger, because Walmart is willing to go for that lowest margin as possible. That means, especially because their employees are usually not paid that well. The no one can compete with them on price and stay profitable. So I think in this case, this is one of those clear examples where the margin is the moat, the low margin is the moat. And as they go lower here, yeah, the gross profit might be a little bit weaker. The operating margin might be a little bit weaker, but I think having the dominance in grocery, they mentioned this quarter again, that they won market share in grocery that, widens their moat over time thoughts on that i i've looked at a lot of these retailers and i'd be cautious owning a lot of the anyone really in the retail space because and and you mentioned walmart actually is not that cheap of a like their wages are not that low relative to some others if i'm not mistaken i believe they pay like a decent amount and they're trying to kind of they're trying i guess to yeah maybe Amazon. maybe that was 10 years ago yeah they have gotten better recently yeah Correct. But you've got um, potentially a big write-down environment. Consumer purchasing is is or the consumer looks weak in general in terms of how much they're wanting to spend, and you're getting and with inflation, you've got labor jumping or labor costs potentially jumping. It feels like it's just a big recipe for margin compression. So I would be worried. Although I think Walmart has. You know, plenty of durability. Um, I'd be worried about the coming years. Maybe Walmart comes out better for it, but yeah, I, I think just being a retailer right now is just such a difficult period. So many companies had big discounts this quarter, and a couple of them were able to 
sell more inventory that, that they thought than they thought, but a lot of them were not able to. Which who, are I the guess good, is, who are the good ones? Let me guess. Nike, Lululemon. Was that the ones you're thinking of or no? Something else. I think Nike was solid. Sonos had did better than management was expecting. Some of the bad ones, Under Armour, did pretty poor. Um, those were just a, kind of the couple ones that I remember looking at, but obviously that's kind of brand dependent. I think Walmart has more um, predictable consumers because it's just value conscious customers that are always going to be there. Um, whereas I think there's a lot more discretionary spending at those brands, but yeah, I, agree. I, don't know, I kind of forgot about your question. So, uh, well, here's, here's, here's some other notes they had from the, the news release that I think is interesting. And this kind of plays more to the broader economy. So guidance for next year. And they did mention that there is some uncertainty here. So they, they said, don't take this as a hundred percent certainty, but they said they are guiding next year for a decent slowdown in growth to 2.5% to 3% in constant currency. If inflation stays high or higher than that, I think that could really impact their margins like you're mentioning. And then on the conference call, the CFO said that they continue to see impacts on discretionary items, which I guess makes sense as there was a huge boom in discretionary, you know, uh, physical items during the pandemic. And they are being very cautious about how they invest for growth right now or whatever they're doing because of the US savings rate charts. And he was talking about it in executive speak, but he was basically saying, look at that chart. We're at the lowest level ever. People are spending like crazy and it's not that sustainable. And it eventually is going to revert back to normal. So we're going to get impacted by that and we're trying to prepare for it. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I think there's some CEOs that are very candid about the environment. Walmart, uh, apparently, or Walmart's executive team seems to be one of them. Maybe it was the CFO. I can't remember what you said. Um, but the other ones are just kind of, I think, faking it and saying, you know, yeah, we're seeing this, but we might be immune kind of thing. I, I don't like, I don't want to touch retail at all right now. Yeah, I think that makes sense. That makes sense. You think that has ripple effects on marketing? Ooh, yeah, it's it's got to at some point. When we've seen companies talk about a lot of advertising companies talk about the impact of the crypto collapse when what was it a year ago? Probably a year and a half ago at this point, right? During the crypto boom, there was a huge boom in crypto advertising spending. We all saw it, Super Bowl commercials, and that flowed through. Well, not the majority of you know the digital advertising industry it did have an impact on their growth. And then when that collapsed and all the advertising has come in now, that actually impacted their business. So I think, you know, we're not going to see a 80% drop in advertising from some of these companies, but that does it does have an impact when your industry goes through a slowdown. There's only I, so many dollars out there. The, yeah, that is actually something that kind of upset me about uh we own IAC and we read this uh, I read the shareholder letter and they have an advertising segment. Basically, they have a business that's run on advertising, and they said we saw you know year over year declines in 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 advertising revenue, and then they're like, "Wow, the crypto advertising wasn't sustainable. Who would have seen that coming?" And it's like almost taking a shot taking a shot at crypto. But I'm like, okay, it's one thing if you can if you do that and like you predicted it, like oh you thought whatever it wasn't going to be sustainable. But if you were impacted by it. Then you didn't insulate yourself well enough. I'm I'm not sure if they took direct crypto ads, but if they did, then I don't think there's room to like take shots at crypto advertising if you were one of the beneficiaries of it. 
Yeah, I mean, whatever. Would, would you, I mean, okay, so let's say someone wanted to run a crypto ad on a podcast. Would you compromise on, or you're like, well, this kind of seems suspect, but uh, they're going to pay me. Would you take it? No, I mean, no. But our, I think our advertising is different than a programmatic because then you don't know. It's kind of a self-serve, right? Yeah, but we you can, can set really, parameters. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But yeah, I mean, it's not, it doesn't really make sense to make fun of your advertisers. And they were talking about making crypto investments in their incubator a year ago, and they're guessing they just shut that off. So yeah, I think it's strange to looking at the consumer economy that doesn't it seem a bit, I'm kind of a bit uneasy because it seems like everything is going as we stand today is going through almost exactly what the general consensus has been. And it's really kind of a steady slowdown in discretionary spending and the the boom is over and it's slowly trickling away back to normal, possibly with high inflation, possibly with a small recession. I think that's a bit strange because I'm waiting to get surprised by something. I'm waiting for some sort of shoe to drop, but maybe it's not going to happen this time. Yeah, it feels like this was the recession that was predicted. Yeah, it's just kind of been real easy, like not, like not a too steady bad. Steady decline. Some, you know, there's there's going to be difficulty for 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 some people, and um, it's gonna it's gonna hurt some retailers. There'll be less spending. People will tighten their budgets because they have to. That was kind of what, if, as opposed to like one fast dramatic collapse. It feels like that was what everyone was kind of expecting to happen after the big sort of uh, influx of capital from the Fed. Yeah, like oh, this will this will trickle through and reverse, but it'll be slow. Yeah, and it seems like interest rates so far are working their their magic. I mean, the other thing we'll see what happens though with the real estate market. I am. As someone who knows nothing about real estate, I am nervous about real estate. We saw commercial, there's some commercial real estate people that are going bankrupt, filing for bankruptcy. The residential stuff looks the least, you know, the affordability charts are worse than the GFC right now. And if inflation stays high, that, man, I wonder what's going to happen there. And I wonder how that big the impact could be and how quickly. But you had something else to say? Yeah. Uh, I kind of I kind of lost my train of thought, but the on the residential side kind of segues into another piece of news that I saw. Zillow reported earnings this week. Maybe Didn't we talk week. about those? La- we talked about those last this last week. Okay, we but about here's the other important part: CoStar Group also reported earnings this week, um, and CoStar Group's like one of the leading uh, commercial real estate databases, the leading, if I'm not mistaken. Um, however, they also own homes.com homes.com said they surpassed 20 million monthly unique users, which was up double from, which apparently had doubled traffic doubled in recent months that, and they have like a much cleaner advertising model for agents. It's just your listing, your lead that, you know, you pay for the listing, you pay for the lead. Um, the, I don't like is is Zillow's kind of moat that they've held for so long, which is just that so many users go to their, so many eyeballs go to their platform. Is that finally going to erode? And are they going to have the difficulty of, because for the longest time they've, they've been able to 
mess up as much as they want because of the eyeballs on their platform. But if if we start to see like a real winner like homes.com, does that start to take away? And is it more of a structural issue for them? Yeah. Zillow's in my too hard pile for sure. It's definitely in my too hard pile. They well, it's in my might not ever generate cash pile. The they, yeah, well, I went to they, their, I checked out their investor day and they are uh they expect 24% annualized revenue growth from through 2025. They they put that in based on their 2021 numbers and their 2022 revenue is down like 16%. So, Say that again. Say that again. What was the number? They were they they put out like guidance or whatever investor day guidance and it was 24% annualized revenue growth through 2025 yeah well the stock would be cheap if that works however they keep let's show the cash flow no way yeah that doesn't seem likely especially if housing and what's interesting is we always see this stuff you see it online you see you know everyone's interested in the housing market a lot of people have exposure to it you always see Zillow economist predicts or Redfin economist predicts or someone else that's not the digital ones, any sort of person. They're biased because they're, they're incentivized to have the housing market be healthy, right? Their incentive is to say that home, everything is going to be good. There's going to be lots of demand. There's going to be lots of buyers. There's going to be lots of liquidity. Their incentive is not to say the other thing. So I don't really trust those people when they talk about all that stuff and their guidance and the guidance for the industry because they're biased. And you know what's funny? Even with their obvious incentive for real estate to do well, real estate market to do well, they have all come out and basically said, there's an affordability issue right now. And that it's going to have to have some sort of an impact. Rich Barton said it in his shareholder letter this year, which is the CEO of Zillow. Redfin has reports, and they honestly props to them because they have reports like every week that are like mortgage yeah. applications are down fifty percent. I'm like, let's cut those. Let's cut those expenses. <laughs> what, what? How many economists do you have on staff? Let's cut that in half. They got heavy salaries. Uh, you guys need to make money first. <laughs> Come on, we don't need these reports every week, right? But it's nice. I like them. But as an investor, I'd be like. Hey, let's cut that. Let's cut that out. I mean, I yeah, I appreciate the candor, but I'm like, dude, it's gonna it's gonna hurt your business. <laughs> like, you know, you're hemorrhaging yeah. money, and you're you're seeing these reports every week. Um, last thing I'll say because we're about to sign off. Uh, there was a little. This is kind of a little more fun, but Howard Schultz, CEO of Starbucks or temporary CEO for the time being, said they have come across a new transformational drink. It's Coffee with olive oil. Is this is this the tailwind Starbucks needs? Maybe they say one thing about Howard Schultz. He has been pretty innovative from a product perspective. Oh yeah, he's this could, this could play he understands the time. consumer. This could play big time into the keto bros. You know, don't people aren't people like oh we put the butter in the coffee? It's some magic formula. I think this could work with that. People love talking about it. They're like oh healthy fats. There we go. That's it's a big. Right? Isn't that kind of a trend? I don't know. I've seen that, I, I've seen I that online. I don't follow the keto fat enough. Um, yeah, I follow the nutrition stuff. Here's here's the last swing. Here's my last question that I had on Walmart on inflation relates to real estate a little bit, I guess, because of interest rates. If inflation stays elevated, 
because we're seeing operating margins fall at Walmart. If inflation stays elevated, is it possible for general corporate profit margins, say the average corporate profit margin of the S&P 500, to not decline? Because when I see that, I think, okay, the earnings that we're earning, or excuse me, the earnings that the you know people are stating the S&P 500 is multiple of like 20, it might actually be 25. It might actually be 30. That is not the way we invest, but it's just something that concerns me. And it feels like there could be some opportunities in 2023 if that occurs, because the market, no way the market would be at a PE of 30. We'd see a nine, another 20, 30% drop. No, yeah. Margins would have to compress. Either, I, here's my uh, here's my statement that might not make sense initially. If the cost of eggs continues to increase by 9% each year, and the cost of eggs is just a uh, microcosm of, of inflation generally, housing prices will drop. Or you will have a widespread recession across the across the rest of the economy. Yeah. And by eggs you mean anything wherever if inflation the inflation stays dollars, high. Yeah. Yeah. Rates have to stay high, which means that like either no homes will be sold or a very small percentage of homes will be sold. Or prices will have to come down. There's no other way yeah. to do it. We talked about this last week. I'm sure people are it, but you have a circle, like say there's a circle, a pie, a pie of um, money that a person has each year, their personal income or household the median income, income in the US. Yeah. Yeah. If 20% of that more is going to household spending or 20% more is going to something else, it's not like they have a magic place to get more of that. Well, they did during the pandemic, stimmies. But those aren't happening anymore. And yeah, it'll just be fascinating to see what happens. Where will the dollars flow? Where Because we know they'll obviously go to food because that's key. And they have to go to shelter. But it depends what type of shelter. Are people going to lay down these mortgages at 6 7% with these prices? Are consumer discretionary items going to just go fall to bed? Will travel pick up or collapse? You know, it'll just be fascinating. And unless you have anything else, Ryan, we are running two minutes late. So I think it's time to wrap things up. Uh, uh, no, if you're a regular, else. yep, nothing else. Uh, these go live 12.30 p.m. Eastern time on YouTube every Thursday. Look up the Chit Chat Money YouTube and you'll be able to find it. You can subscribe to it. And if you even want, you can put the notification bells. But it's 12.30 p.m. Eastern every Tuesday. If you want to ask us any comments and you can watch the replays there, you can listen to the replays Sunday mornings, as most people do on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your shows. If you like our shows subscribe to our newsletter to keep up with us it's the chit chat money newsletter on substack uh give us a review on spotify or apple podcast to help support the show remember we are not financial advisors anything we say here is not formal advice or recommendation we are general partners at arch capital and clients may hold securities discussed on this podcast thank you everyone for joining and watching we'll see you next time 